Welcome to Network Provence with me, Rebecca Ronane. This podcast is for you if you are interested in living, working, holidays and appreciating everything in Provence. We'll be talking networking business, culture, traditions, holidays, food and art, the fun and the serious side, and having lots of interviews with mostly women. This episode is about daring, sharing, and just going for it. Meet Ruth Ribicor. Hey, Ruth, I'm recording now. <laughs> We've been talking Hi, Rebecca. already, Ruth Ribicor. <laughs> You're unstoppable. <laughs> uh, there are, there, I am not feeling terribly unstoppable right now. I could do with a, a good snooze after after the last few days. We're, we're putting issue two to, to bed. We're doing layout now, so it's pretty intense. But it's going to be really beautiful. It's kind so, of- So uh, you yeah. have just done something quite unique, I think, in these days is that you've created a magazine called FAIR, a printed magazine. Yeah. So, so that, that's become quite an unusual thing, I think, these days, creating a new magazine. And yeah, you're located in Provence. So first, I wanted to ask you, why Provence? Why are you here? So um, we, we moved in 2010. So I should say my husband is French, um, but I initially had him had him I had him move to Ireland when I was working with Walt Disney Studios uh, so when we met uh, we actually kissed on St. Patrick's Day and I think about two weeks later he had packed his bags and moved to Ireland that was I was uh, yeah that was a killer effect he was like this is it he was a goner he was a goner he moved to Ireland and um, it was around the time of the financial crisis and um, my son our, our son Louis was born and I got quite sick from Hashimoto's, um, which is an autoimmune disease. And I didn't realize I was sick. I thought it was literally exhaustion from having a newborn. But when I went back to work, um, I realized very quickly that no, things were not working as they should do in my, with my body and stuff. And um, so the financial crisis hit, my health took like a massive downturn. And then I having a six month old at home and you know, traveling with the Walt Disney Company, it just, none of it was kind of fitting anymore. It just didn't feel right anymore. And with Raph being French, uh, we'd always kind of flirted with the idea of one day moving to France. And we had met and fallen in love in Lacoste, uh, which, which I know is the bête noire of the Luberon. <laughs> Everyone goes, why Lacoste? Why are you living in Lacoste? But we met here, fell in love, and we, we actually cr created quite a lot of friends in this area. So it felt like the right place to kind of take a breather, take six months out, move to France gently, slowly, and then figure out what we're going to do after that. And that was in, we moved in November, 2010. And if anyone knows Lacoste, there's, I mean, in winter time, there is not a shop open. There's not a bakery. There's not a pharmacy. We arrived. I had no driving license. Uh, I had a one-year-old. I was not, I had just left my career. I just thought, what have we done? <laughs> there was a moment of, oh God, because of course, when you come here in the summertime as a tourist, everything is like, wow, this is the life. November in Lacoste, not quite the same as uh, July in Lacoste. So 
that there was a moment I, I, I was telling you earlier, I, I went, I signed up to Pool Emploi. Um, I had always worked my entire life. Um, I went and I wanted to do something, even if it was a part-time job. I just, I was got, found, I felt like I was going a wee bit nuts at home because I'd left this, you know, pretty intense career that I'd had for 10 years in film publicity. And, um, and as much as I love my son, I just was, uh, this was not what I thought I was going to do. <laughs> so I went to Pôle Emploi and they basically signed, you know, ticked all the boxes and it turns out I was absolutely unemployable not even as a waitress I don't think because I, I went to one of these job fairs and I thought oh god this is okay this was a disaster uh, I was never going to work again and um, so that was my first six to six to twelve months in Provence we obviously never left Lacoste we thought we were going to go to Aix or potentially Lyon which is where my husband is his family live that was kind of the, that was always what we thought we were going to do and then of course when you get here and we slowed everything slowed down I, I started taking walks and I learned how to cook at 30 years of age my Raphael thought we got why didn't we do this four years ago because I thought cooking was like heating up a Marks and Spencer's dish for 25 minutes at 200 degrees that was my idea of cooking <laughs> I thought I was a great cook but apparently not <laughs> so life slowed down for us and we just I feel like I think we just got we fell in love with the way the rhythm of life here and the the seasons and of course like just you know the just living here and so the idea of moving elsewhere quickly evaporated um and from that point onwards my husband was able to, he was very lucky he was able to work from home so nothing really changed for him he just kind of worked from home for the same company he was working for in Ireland and for me, I had to figure out then what it was that I was going to do because the, I wasn't going to be employed, definitely not immediately anyway. So it was what was it that I could do that would earn me a little bit of money, keep me keep me busy, keep me occupied, keep me challenged. And um, that was it. God, it's not even a decade. It's twelve years, nearly twelve years ago. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I basically had to uh, accept that I would have to be an entrepreneur if if I wanted to do anything I would have to create work for myself here in Provence um I'm, I'm you know looking back I'm sure there was other opportunities that I could do but I was just in such a panic I thought okay I'm unemployable and yet I really really want to work and I really want to contribute but I don't see any opportunities for me here so I initially started making jewelry, which was my in between looking after a one year old. It was kind of during his sleeping time, his snooze time. And that um, introduced me to the whole world of textiles and ribbons, because around that point, I discovered, um, which I know everybody laughs that they don't think this is actually true, but I had not quite understood even though I had dated Raphael for four years and we were married for a year, um, I knew that the, their family made ribbons, but a ribbon in my mind was something like that you wrap a present with. And so it wasn't that thrilling to me. It was like, it was great. It was cool, but it wasn't that thrilling. So I, I asked his grandmother if she had any ribbons that I could use, uh, play around with to make some jewelry with. And it was, it was only when she produced this box of um, samplers from the 19th century that I was like, oh, okay, this is this is what the French understand 
a ribbon to be. And that was, so that was like basically where I dived into this world of textiles and handmade and heritage. And it was such a thrilling moment because it was something I knew nothing about. And it was something that our family did. And I, so I was very proud and I really, and I thought, God, if I don't know anything about this, I'm sure like there's a lot of people out there that don't know anything about ribbons and, and these types of textiles. And so that took me on this whole other tangent I mean, at that point, I knew nothing. I couldn't tell you the difference between cotton and linen or silk and polyester. I knew nothing about fabric whatsoever. Um, so it was it was a huge adventure. That took me to the Brocant. That uh, introduced me to uh, many, many textile dealers across France who were uh, a lot of them self-taught as well. And so there was it was this whole world just opened up to me, um, which not only encapsulates textiles and um, heritage companies, like for example, lace and, and the dyers and the printing, the fabric printers like uh, that created the Les Indiennes, but it was also, you know, the, the stories of these objects and textiles that people would have had in Provence and this rich history. So it was, it was a lot of, I loved history growing, when I was in school. So it was like a combination of history and textile and it was so captivating for me. And, um, can I just um, say that people who maybe would listen to this and don't understand what a brocante is, is that that's the antiques, which the antiques flea market, yeah, which, which we're lucky to have an awful lot of. I mean, we near Ilse de Sorg, which is that sort Absolutely. of center. The third of, biggest uh, antiques market in Europe. It's crazy. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, this is, I think we don't, I mean, I grew up in Ireland and we didn't really have, we didn't have, let's say, we didn't have antiques. We started to have a little bit of money in the 50s. So there's a, quite a bit of mid-century furniture in Ireland and a lot of dealers come from outside of Ireland into Ireland to source that. But I didn't even have a visual reference for any of these things that they, you know, that the French take for granted. You know, like the pique covers that, um, which are basically hand hand um how would you call it hand stitched uh, bed covers but like they that the french used to cover furniture and wrap fragile things in that are like 200 300 year old fabrics so that it was just like it was like having the door into narnia opened for me and and it, everything was fascinating and and also it's 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 like a living museum the brocante the flea markets in france because you get to touch things well maybe not so much anymore because you know you have to put the hand gel on and the all the rigmarole because of covid but before covid you could pick things up you could turn them around you could see how they were constructed you could see how something was hand stitched versus machine stitched and and then you know if you again, learning French, you pick up French and you you start a conversation with the dealers and you learn so much about traditions that actually many French people don't know is not an, you know, a known thing um, they, because they've always just grown up with it and they just assume everybody knows this. But there's so many things like etiquette and, you know, silverware and the napkins that they have at the table like small way that you we learn about the history of france and and how people grew up and uh it's an incredibly rich area provence as well i mean i know people the antique dealers that come from all over europe to provence because you have at one time on one hand you've got the richness and the noble fabrics and the and the silks and all of these incredible things but you also have this really beautiful rustic antiques like the pottery and the woodworking and so it, it's 
Yeah, we, I think, I again, I knew nothing about antiques before I came here. But if you're into antiques, this area that we live in is just phenomenal, phenomenal. And um, and as and an old house gets sold, and next thing you know, the guys come in and they clear it out, and 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 then it's nearly like sometimes you feel like a chateau has just been unloaded onto the pavement at these uh, antiques fairs. It's nuts. I love it. I mean, I have to say the only great, not the only great thing, one of the good things about COVID lockdown is that I have probably saved so much money because I would go every Sunday and there are things that you find that you know are incredibly rare and the price is probably, it's probably a lot of money, but it's still not enough money for what it's worth. And you end up, this is why my house is just coming down but you find incredible treasures to take yeah. home and you know i would never i would never even think now to go and buy a new piece of furniture i would just you know because there's some incredible furniture and art and decorative items at the brocon that you can get but that's uh yeah that's a whole other story but i am i'm excited to for them to reopen and restart because it's a it's it's such a fun way to spend a morning uh really is it's like going to a museum except it's open air and it's fun and yeah it's a uh, treasure I, hunting it's treasure hunting yeah <laughs> i love it it's one of my favorite things to do really um and i would go literally every weekend on a sunday it's my ritual sunday morning back for lunch um and then and then even like when you, you you're buying little things along the way, you get home and you unload it. And it's like you, you're rediscovering things that you forgot you bought that morning. And well, that just goes to show you how much I buy. But um, it's, it's magic. I love it. I love it. But uh, the brocante, the bro. So the brocante is really and my jewelry is really how I the reason I picked up a camera um, because I would, for my jewelry, I knew that I had to sell it. And in order to sell it, I needed to take a photograph of the, of the work. And I needed to tell this story via the, the photograph, the photography. So I got my first camera when I was uh, 30. So yeah, to 11, I'm 41 this summer. So 11 years ago, I mean, I'd never taken a photograph other than with one of these disposable cameras at weddings. I mean, that was... I had never had something that I wanted to either capture that sounds, that sounds terrible, but the, it was just not something that I needed to do. And here I found myself having to communicate with the bigger world via Etsy or Instagram and share my life and share, you know, I might have bought something at the Brocomp, but maybe I didn't want to sell it, but I wanted to share it because I thought it was so incredible. So that's how I started to take uh, photographs. And um and then, like everything that's happened in the last 11 years, uh, I suddenly found myself uh, taking photographs for magazines. And from one day to the next, I suddenly I became a journalist. Um, and I don't even know how that happened because it was never something that I ever aspired to be. It was never on my list of to do things or um, it just, it, it, but it just was the most, easiest natural thing that ever happened because I went in and I started taking photographs of one of my closest friends and I sent that in um to this magazine in the US and um, because she had actually contacted the editor had contacted me asking me did I have any stories that that they could publish I said well you know I can go and do this and at the time I was work I was shooting on automatic 
So, I mean, and it was a point and shoot. Uh, uh, I was shooting on JPEG. For anyone that's into Fedora, you know, probably know all this. I mean, I was I was basic of basic of basic. We're like, we're talking, you know, I was, you know, pointing my camera and taking the photograph. But I had, I, I have, to, I probably did have an, an eye and I knew what I was doing. But when I look back at those photographs now, I can see uh, come a huge way, um, which is normal. But that first shoot that I that I um, shot and I and I delivered to the editor that actually made front cover, and that I just thought this is I think like somebody's playing a joke on me here. I I, get, I suddenly found my this was my this was my new job, and um, it was a completely crazy set of events. Then that 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 set into action because. I not only got to spend time with these incredible um, all women, female makers, uh, I got to learn how to use my camera. I got to grow my photography skills, but I also then got to tell their story and share their story with the, the bigger world. And um, that was at the same time, a huge responsibility for me. And I took it very seriously. And it was a huge pleasure. It was, it was like somebody had, without me telling anyone, this was like my dream job. This is what I, I get to hang out with, my favorite people I get to learn about new art art forms and art skills and mediums and I also get to to grow my own skills um just through practice just by physically doing it and um and learning and making mistakes and learning and growing and um I could never have told you that that's what I would be doing when I first moved to Provence this is what is so crazy about life is um and I think like you say yes to things and then you figure it out later because when the editor said, oh, would you submit this a story? And I said, of course I would. And of course, like I had 200 questions. I was like, How, what do I do? What does she mean by like 300 DPI? But I didn't, I didn't let her know that I did not know what I was doing. I was like, I'm just going to go do it and let's just do it. Let's just figure it out while we're there and figure it out later. So it's kind of the story of my life is, um, you know, if you, you know, if, and also if you want to do something and you put all your intention into it, it's always you're going to feel that emotion. You're going to feel that intention. And so that's that's what I put into all my my photo shoots, even the ones at the very beginning where I was, you know, kind of making it up as I went along, you know, but uh, <laughs> and I'm not afraid to say that because I feel that we all have to be aware that we don't have to start out knowing everything. I, no, I, think I think that's uh, I think that's a great mistake for many yeah. people that they get so hung up on on how or, or comparing themselves to other people that they never make the start. No, you never. We all have to start somewhere and we can learn as long as you're the only thing I was very adamant about is I didn't want to make a mess of anybody's shoot and have that reflect badly. I always over deliver, but I always knew that I could do better. And we can always do better. We can, well, and every, with everything we do, with every project we do, with every shoot I do, I get better. And um, and it's not at the expense of who came before. It's it's just it's a learning process. And I see so many people with so much potential, and they are are just there's this massive barrier that they put in in their way by saying, oh well, you know, so and so is doing that. So yeah, no, I have nothing new to share. I have nothing new to give it's already been done but i think the thing we all need to realize is that we are all individuals and everything we do is going to have our own spirit and emotion attached to it 
take photography, for example, you know, we could all have the exact same camera go into the exact same space. And every single one of us is going to take a different shot because we are all bringing something very unique to it. And it, and it can be as simple as an emotional connection or not. So we, you, you can't just, just not do something because, you know, for, let's for, say food photography, you really love baking and you would love to start an Instagram account because there's like hundreds of food photographers out there. But just as long as you stay true to who you are and and really just not not try and copy, but just do your thing, then people will find that voice. They will see that voice and it will be different from everyone else's because it's you. And I so I mean, that's kind of why I started the photography retreats. I didn't want people to feel that they have to copy everybody and create the same thing again and again and again, that we can learn the basics, empower women, mostly women who come on my retreats, empower them with the tools to tell their story. And how do we do that? We teach them how to use the camera, you know, so that they, you know, they see something and they want to shoot that and that's their story. They don't have to rely on automatic mode where the camera dictates what their photograph looks like. So that we're giving them the tools and then they tell their story in their way. You know, you don't just, okay, well, so-and-so is popular and I like what they do. Let's just copy that. No, everybody brings something completely unique to the table. Absolutely unique. And, and, and this um, was your, your next chapter, evolving <laughs> to do retreats. Well, I mean, so, so yes, so the, the retreats came about because I had myself gone on a photography retreat. Um, and that changed, like, I'm, it's no exaggeration to say that changed my life for many, many reasons. I went to this incredible retreat in Burgundy run by Floor Valerie Rado. I mean, it was like something out of a movie. Everything was incredible. And we were... 20 women from around the world, all of us different levels, different. Well, I think I actually was the only one who was shooting on automatic, which was kind of embarrassing, but um, I just got over myself and everybody was encouraging me. And I went on that and, and it was important for me for many reasons, but it was also on one, one way, it was me saying, okay, you know what? I'm investing in myself. I want to be better. I want to do better and I'm investing in myself, in my skills, like, like you would going onto a conference or, you know, getting coaching or, and this was me investing myself and women are not that great about investing in themselves. Mm. It's often a lot of money. And you know, why would you just focus on yourself? But yeah, we have to invest in ourselves. Mm, so there was that psychological element of it. And then there was also meeting all these other women um, and connecting with these other women and, um, just having it being an open, generous space for collaboration. And I came back off that just buzzing. And I thought, you know what, that's, that's the spirit I want to create. I want to empower and educate and create these opportunities for women to collaborate and, you know, connecting people all around the world, like what you do, you know, connect that essential human connection is so vital. And it's what we've all been missing for this last year. So I mean, for me, it's like sitting around the table, cooking an incredible meal, sitting around and talking and chatting and, and speaking to women that you would probably never meet otherwise, from lawyers to, and we had an animator from LA. Um, and actually one of the, the, the this incredibly talented animator um, from LA, she came over, she's 27. And at the end of the retreat, this was two years ago, she, she was crying and she said, I never knew that we could have a community of women who would be there for each other. Um, and I think a lot of women are taught that we are meant to compete with each other. Mm. It's so it's so combative, you know, from a very early age. 
And actually, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. There's space for everybody at the table. And that's what I really want to create is this idea that no, it's we're not we're not competing with each other for for men for work for, you know, and also we don't need to be, you know, nasty and, and bitchy and hard and, you know, have create the shell we can be, we can be gentle and generous and soft and that works too. So um, I, I, that was I, I just love the fact that, you know, at 27, she doesn't have to wait to 40 to realize realize that women can be allies and um, so yes, yeah, so I was really devastated that we couldn't do that last June because it's like it, it, it's um, like a life source for me to have those. I mean, I, I'm like dead for two weeks after the retreat, let's face it. But when I'm in it, I don't sleep. I, I mean, I barely eat, so I lose lots of weight. It's great. And you're just buzzing. You're just buzzing from, from all the energy that's like, oh, I swear, it's amazing. It's amazing. But um and I suppose it was probably that as well, like missing that, missing the way that we can tell these stories and connect women. And because so many of the women that we brought together have gone on to, to work together and collaborate. And that's like, that's magic when that happens. Yeah. Um, so creating, I want creating opportunities for other people, opportunity for yourself. And yet that feeds into all those other women as well. I can yeah. absolutely you know, feel well, it's, it's like what, what somebody said, it's like a circle, you know, and, and it, when, when you have this energy where you want to kind of feed into it, build the circle, make the circle bigger, add more people into it and help more people rather than see our careers as this kind of pyramid that we have to climb to the top to be the best, to focus and specialize and get to the top of that pyramid because it's very lonely up there. It's very lonely at the tip, 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 tip of that pyramid. It's so much more for me anyway, fulfilling to have this community in this circle that we are constantly thinking of other people and feeding them opportunities. And for example, somebody, um, a big French perfume company who I'm very good friends with wrote to me and said, you know, can you recommend any female photographers to shoot our next campaign? And I didn't even, I mean, my name wasn't even coming to the list the top of this I immediately thought of two incredible female photographers and I knew that they would do the best job but also that they would this would be a great job for them and so it would work for everyone and it's all about that it's like we don't always have to be grabbing for the jobs ourselves because often in in sharing them um it always comes back to us it always comes back to us and um so I think the magazine fair is is also you know, an extension of that. It's an extension of empowering creatives to tell their stories and get their stories out there. Because I think the biggest problem and uh, the barrier for handmade goods now is that that we've gotten so used to going into a shop and 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 it's all anonymous and we don't know who's making anything anymore for us. But when when you put a human into that story and you and you and you basically a layered human, let's say, you know, someone who's lived, someone who's got a few years behind them, not a 20 something influencer. But when you've got a human who's lived and who's had several, you know, lives nearly and, and they, they tell that, that all of that gets poured into what they do. So what they're creating, it might be an object, it could be a beautiful ceramic vase, or it could be a hat. But there's, there's so much that has been that has 
come together to create that in terms of experience and life experiences and education or not self-taught and um and that's if i can't bring people together in person i want to connect people through this type of storytelling yeah so and then the pandemic came along and we're <laughs> going to be doing a retreat so um, we were talking yeah. on how well, the, the retreat the, the, the retreats for me, I, I really feel very strongly because there's the retreat world, especially the photography retreat world. It turns out, I mean, I'm so naive, but it turns out it's a very tiny, small, tight little world. And there are rules as there are in many, many industries and and areas of, of work. And I didn't know any of those rules, but now I'm kind of an insider into them. And, and so I'm partial to a lot of, I know what they're talking about. They're talking about when do we restart? When do we start our retreats again? And I just feel that until people can travel without stress um, so that they arrive here and they, there's no, no possibility that they can be stressed out until they can arrive here and they can't get sick and or stuck here or and also until people can get their jobs back and earn enough money that this is not going to put them in a position of stress to travel you know that they can invest in themselves without you know creating a lot of headaches only then do i want the retreats to start back safely and securely and where everyone is in the right spirit to to be there so i'm not in any rush to start them again um which then gave me space to say okay well how can, yeah how can i how can i create storytelling how can i create people and uh, our position situations where people can meet and that's how fair came about i mean there's a there's a it's a lot more complicated than that but um yeah the pandemic really just said okay just go for it because I had the headspace and I wasn't doing all these other auxiliary things that take so much energy. Um, and I was, and I, and I just couldn't languish anymore. I mean, that word, somebody said it to me and it's the perfect word. We were just, we were, our lives were on pause. Our ambitions were on pause. Our creativity was on pause. And, and rather than wait for the world to go back to normal, which it really never will, let's face it, we have to we have to say okay this is what it is so let's let's create let's do um and yeah people making first of all creating a print magazine in this day and age people thought i was absolutely nuts like they they were like well print is dead print is not dead i think the big problem with print and i mean i talked to a lot of independent publishers and we are all on the same page here is that print magazines are created to appease their advertisers. Um, that's the bottom line. And so the readers have been forgotten and the readers are not being respected. And, you know, this, the stuff that's in between the ads is content, which is a horrific word because it's just something we scroll through, we turn the page. And as a result, all a lot of these mainstream magazines, they're trying to please like everybody, they've got something for everybody so that they can get as many readers as possible. What is doing well and what there is plenty of space for are niche publications where you don't want to talk to everybody. You want to talk to those people who really want to read your stories. It's like Instagram, you know, uh, you don't need a hundred thousand followers. If you have a thousand followers who 
just love what you do and who support you and believe in you. That's that's more important than having 100,000 who are following because they feel that they should be because everybody else is following you because they're not really engaged, uh, those 100,000 followers. So I, I, we have a wonderful storyteller in issue two called Stedman. And she said, she, you know, to think back to the troubadours, the, the traditional troubadours who just kind of focused on the five kilometers around them. And as long as their stories could filter down into the communities and be learned and held and then passed on, that's the job. Uh, I mean, that's 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 the goal. That if you can do that, that you've done an amazing job. And so I feel like it's you know it's what we're what I'm doing is very niche. What my friend Annie of Gala Magazine in Australia is is incredibly niche as well. But we but people are responding to these stories. It's incredible. People are I mean, and also my friend um, Kristen who just launched Blaster Books. All of the comments she just hit her Kickstarter goal in four days. So she's basically creating books um, for voices that are not traditionally given book deals because they don't have 60,000 followers or a hundred, they're not influencers. They're phenomenally talented food voices, but traditional publishers are just not interested anymore. They want what's working, what's easy to sell. And so my friend Kristen, again, totally, she is breaking all the rules in publishing. She is going out, she's doing uh, community crowdsourced, uh, crowdfunded um, publishing and publishing books that people would nece not, wouldn't necessarily pick up. A traditional publisher would not necessarily pick up. And um, I think if you, you, you just don't try and please everyone, you do what you do and you do it really well and you speak to a, a smaller audience, but you respect that audience and, and you create, create stories that are phenomenal and the quality is really excellent. I think that's, I don't think you can go really wrong on that. And um, I mean, on the question of print, I so many people have written to me and I don't know, is it that other magazines just smell terrible? But everybody keeps writing and saying, your magazine smells amazing. <laughs> so I, I have all these people like around the world just sniffing the paper. And uh, I mean, the magazine fair is beautifully printed. It's heavy paper and it's it feels like it's not something you throw away. I think there's that as well. It's something very tangible and yes. I mean, does it smell good to you, Rebecca? <laughs> well, you know what? I'll, I'll do the sniffing test because actually print makes me sneeze. And oh, this has never made me sneeze. See, I think, well, so that was one of the things I said, if I'm going to go print and if we're shipping this around the world and we're, you know, we're, we're using paper, I want to work with the green energy printer. I want to use non-toxic inks and FSC approved paper. And I actually genuinely think that has made a big difference. I think we don't realize that this smells great because there's no there's no chemicals in it. So yeah, it's a big difference. Um, but also there's so there's so much energy has gone into making just one magazine um, from the photographers to every creative who wrote their story to my designer who created the magazine from scratch to our editor who edited the stories and gave them form because none of our all of our creatives who write their stories, they're not professional writers. So we want to give them shape and form and make them a little bit more per perfected, but without taking away the soul of their voice or so that they, you know, if they read this story back, they'll go, well, you know, that does not sound like me. So that's, that's quite hard in itself. It's like a very sensitive way to edit something, but everybody has invested all this energy to create something that I feel, you know, when it comes to digital, 
we the way we consume anything on a tablet or a laptop it is that word content we just scroll through it we just and we ping pong from different apps so we're not even really present whereas with fair like i mean i subscribe to cabana for example and world of interiors and there's a few magazines i absolutely love and when they arrive in the post i mean i will just put it i will set time aside i'll make myself a coffee i'll go and i'll just give myself that half an hour or hour to read those magazines and that's that's it's the it's the pausing it's the taking the time to read those stories that i want to encourage and not have it you know this instant instantly forgettable digital content because i think that's what it becomes you know we are, we are we are bombarded with pinterest and facebook and instagram and 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 i don't know that we're really taking the time to to read the stories and and yeah so i think for the moment i don't really want to go to digital i may go to digital for back issues when because we're nearly sold out of issue 1 um but i think for the moment i really want to to give those stories the 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 the, the you know the the quality of publication that they deserve so i and also I, I can so um feel that having a magazine you t what you just said you take time you can lay on the sofa and sit back and read where if you're reading something digitally indeed the distraction comes in of what else could I be looking at? Uh, that yeah. multitasking, which you know all of us are doing. I think it's just we. It's like it's that it's a drug, uh, and we have gotten so used to it, and it's embarrassing. I mean, I I know that I'm not the only one who will watch a Netflix show whilst on my laptop working away, whilst also checking my phone. You know that I've got messages coming in, and I it, we have gotten so used to it. And it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. Um, but and I, I I think the magazine and the book. Are the, the you know we do we just it's it's a pleasure it's a guilty not a guilty pleasure but you know it's it's like okay we, we you have to sit down to enjoy it and I, I really love that so that even the intention of doing that and it's you're honoring all of the creatives that have genuinely the stories that they share in fair are are we, first of all we ask them questions that they've never been asked before because most magazines you, they will give you maybe two double pages maximum. And so you've barely scratched the surface with 500 words. Our stories are a minimum of 1500 words. And we're, we're focusing on creatives that are not, not just the hipster influencers. As I, I kind of go back to the, most of my friends are in their seventies and they've all lived these incredible lives. And they have a perspective that somebody in their twenties just simply can't have. And I think really what they are creating right now is as a, I also go, I'm repeating myself, but it's, it's a culmination of an entire life that they're pouring into what they're creating. And I find that infinitely more fascinating than, than somebody who's just straight out of college who could be really talented. Um, but there's so much to learn from those experiences. So um, for example, in issue two, we have two ceramicists. We had, I, don't, I didn't do it on purpose. I would like to say I did, but I didn't. But we have uh, six stories of collaboration. So friendships, uh, mother-daughter, father-daughter, uh, partners, um, and it was, must have been something I was fascinated with when I was subliminally choosing the stories. But one really beautiful story is about a father and daughter ceramicists, uh, Chris Bramble and Freya Bramble Carter, who are in the UK. And Chris was one of the only black ceramicists in the 80s. He studied in Glasgow 
and um, he's got the most fascinating story. And he he would he would create twelve pieces, send them to a gallery in London. They were instantly snapped up by collectors, and yet nobody has ever interviewed him. And his daughter Freya is one of the Instagram generation, exceptionally talented as well, and she is so much more visible. So what I wanted to do was actually talk about their relationship. And so that's the type of story that we're going to be sharing. It's not, it's uh, the most beautiful stories, even Freya. So I had Freya and her father have a conversation and Freya said she didn't even know half of the stories her dad was telling her and sharing with her, talking about growing up in the eighties in the UK, but also the ceramics industry and, and competing in the ceramics industry and the business of ceramics and also then educating and how to change and evolve the education system of how you educate future artists. So yeah, I, I mean, I, it's an absolute privilege to work on these stories because I feel like I'm, I'm getting a window into lives that have never, we've never had a window into. It's, it's wonderful. It's an absolute privilege. Um, and there's, there's many stories like that. Um, for example, another artist who I shot for the issue two is Natalie Lette, who has done collaborations with everyone from Gucci to H&M to Anthropology to Astier de Villat. I mean, she's one of the most successful artists in France. And yet the fine artists look down at her because she's she's figured out how to sell her work and she's hugely successful. And she has kind of is in the process of handing over her creative empire, if you like, because that's what it is. She has she is so successful to her daughter and um, who's very quiet and nobody has ever asked her to be interviewed or to know her story. Or so there's a conversation between mother and daughter and how they collaborate and create together. And it's a side of Natalie Lette that nobody really ever talks about or explores. So it's. I, it's been an absolute blast and right now we're putting all of the stories on the page so I've been working on the text for for the last few weeks and the images have been coming in and now bringing those together on a pay on the page is is oh it's so exciting it's really it's it's hard to explain but it's, it's literally you see the stories come to life and uh and I think, I think it's really hard also to say I can't say that it's going to be better than issue one because it's so completely different uh, every single issue will be completely different. Every story is different. Um, but I know that like we, we talked about this before we were recording is that, you know, life is all about learning and it's, there's not, no, I don't think there's any such thing as failure. It, you know, we are, everything happens and even conflict that, you, you know, you fall out with business partners or you, you know, any, all of that is, a, it's a lesson and you grow and you, you know how to do things better next time. So, I mean, I've, I've learned, I've learned that there's, you know, as many times as it feels awful that you're, you've made a mistake or a failure. For example, there's a typo in issue one that I, we did not pick up and it's done. It's printed 9,000 times <laughs> in my editor's letter. If anyone is looking out for it, it's in my editor's letter where I say I am a, I am not even a real publisher. Well, there you go. So like, but nobody died. I'm not, it's not brain surgery, you know, it's, um, I feel, you know, I feel like, you know, let's just, we all make mistakes. Let's move on. And we can always make a better magazine, write a better book, uh, take a better photograph. So that's, what's exciting about life. Yeah. You know, well, as, as I've been, um, actually learned in the latter part of my life that failure is feedback. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's something that, 
I think people get totally hang, hung up on for all the wrong reasons and it holds them back. And just to keep curious, like you're explaining about yeah. all the amazing uniqueness out there in life and, and that everyone is unique and has something to bring to uh, the table or to your magazine yeah. <laughs> as uh, going forward. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm going to be doing another, um, I'm going to be working with Kim Klassen. She She's doing um, an online workshop. She's an incredible creative mentor in Canada who's in issue one. And I, I love her so much. And she's asked me to come on talk. She's doing a course called Elevate Your Photography. Um, I think there's a much sexier title. I'm just, that's what she said it's about. The key thing is to how to elevate your photography. And she wants me to talk about, um, photography for editorial and how to get your work published and how how do you go about that and I really feel the only thing is I'm so busy right now that I can't respond to absolutely every submission and say okay well this is not working because and this is what I would change but I would love oh my god I would love to have the time to then be able to go back because I feel we all it's all about transparency also with me and and empowering and educating and you know you know taking you know pulling back the curtain because i think storytelling is absolutely critical for creatives for them to connect with their audience and it's not that hard if you just if somebody just you know gives you a few feelers and a few feedback um but essentially for me that somebody can take a, a really wonderful photograph and they can be a really great photographer but a story, especially a story in fair, which can go across 10 pages, you it, it will not work with 10 individual photographs that don't connect potentially different lighting or different color story or another problem is is emotion. For me, it's absolutely critical that there is an emotional connection, especially these are human stories. These are not still lives. But I mean, I'm not saying still lives are void of emotion but there has to be a, a human connection and I think that comes when the photographer feels not just an interest but a responsibility in telling that story in a really great way so it's it's less about oh I get to get my photos published but more about okay, how can we share the story in the most incredible way and there are photo there's photography that's been sent to me that there I couldn't tell you there's with each individual shot there's nothing wrong with it but as a whole it's not it's it's missing something so eventually i'd love to be able to do something to teach that because getting your work published on a blog or in a magazine it's phenomenal for you and it shouldn't be that hard and the other i know that well, like in any industry there is also a tendency for people to work with the same photographers again and again like on film sets you know you've got your team you don't have to imagine what's going to happen you don't have to train anyone in you don't you're not going to get any nasty surprises you know you get what's on the on the cover on the packet or what's the, what's that metaphor uh you get what's written on the packages packet oh i can't remember the metaphor but um it's that you might need to edit that out rebecca my <laughs> my, my making words up um well, <laughs> but i think i think there's that as well and an awful lot of men are being employed now so i should clarify well obviously network provence is for women so i'm in i'm in good company i am not anti-men in any way i adore men i just feel that women we, we either hold ourselves back 
And, you know, someone with similar talents or less talents, if they're ma a man, they will just put themselves forward for that job. And we say, oh, well, we're not enough talented enough. We're not skilled enough. We don't have the experience. So no, let's not dare to fail. Let's not put ourselves out there. And so I really want to open up um, FAIR to um, artists of color, photographers of color and, and female photographers and female creatives. So there will be a mix of men and women, but I really, I do feel very strongly about giving women a platform. And also if I can, and if I have the time, I, one of my faults is I never say no. So if I, if I have the time, I really feel very strongly about, you know, put, yeah, pulling back the curtain and saying, okay, this is why this is not working, but this is what you could do to make it so much better. And that's how you'll get published. Um, because when I was starting out, the, one of the ways that I, I managed to get a lot of exposure living in this tiny little village in, in Provence, but I had a lot, my Instagram became quite, not big, um, quite popular, quite fast. Cause I started very late in the Instagram game. I felt like, again, I felt like, oh, what's the point? Everybody's on Instagram and I haven't done it. What's, what have I got to share? And um, I reached out at the time I read a lot of blogs and one of my favorite blogs was Design Sponge. And Design Sponge, which is now, has now closed, which is really sad. It was such a phenomenal re resource for creatives and artists. But I, I had studied their blog. So I knew, not studied, but I had, I was such an avid reader of their blog that I just instinctively knew what they were looking for in terms of color, in terms of format, in terms of, you know, I just, I knew what would be hard for them to say no to, or I should rephrase that. I, if you can make it as easy as possible for a journalist or an editor to just hit the publish button on their blog, you, that's, you know, you're winning. You have to just make it as simple as possible because people are time poor. They don't have budgets, um, less and less. And if you can deliver something that is just it's a no brainer to them, that's, it just gets, it gets published within a few weeks, you know, and that's, that's what happened with me for um, Design Sponge. I knew exactly how to shoot for them. So even if I didn't really know how to use my camera at that point, I knew, in terms of how to frame something. And I think that's actually important is that for anyone that's selling their work and wants creative work and wants to get, or not even creative work, if you want to get um, free editorial, so you're not, it's not paid editorial, obviously, then you make a list of people who would, first of all, that's the other mistake I meant I made was I wanted to be on all my favorite blogs, but not all my favorite blogs loved what I did at the time, the jewelry. So you, you can't, you can't hit everybody. You have to hit somebody and approach somebody who is going to be sensitive to what you're doing and react in a positive way. Otherwise you're wasting everyone's time. So, you know, you make a list of blogs that you love or magazines that you love. You, you, you know, do your research, find out what style they like. Do they like colors? Do they like muted tones? And then you, you just send them, you, you, you write your piece, you write your story and you send your photographs in and you just make it so much easier for them to publish. So that's definitely a technique that, that worked for me in this tiny little village in Lacoste getting recognized across in the US. Um, and I don't know that many people know to do that, but I, I think just journalists don't have time today. Mm. If you can make it so easy for them that and, and yeah, so that it fits the culture, it fits the, fits the aesthetic. You're, there's no barrier for them to, to not publish you. It's, mm. you know, so um, yeah, I'd love to be able to help people learn more about that as well. 
especially when it comes to to print publishing and and once once you're once you've you've got your foot in the door there there you know you build that relationship relationship and the trust and and um I just had a wonderful young photographer in London shoot a story for me. And it was a bit of a risk for me because I, I didn't really know if she was going to be able to do it. But I just I, I did a call with her and my gut said that she got it and she was really excited about the story. And the fact that she was excited to tell this story, I really believe that that is what brought the photography like to such a it's one of my favorite stories now in issue two. And, you know, she's not, she doesn't have 20 years experience, but she wanted, she had the, the desire to do it really well and to, to do her best by this creative that she was shooting. Yeah. And she did it. She really did it. So it's, it's interesting. Um, I was talking to somebody else the, the other day that when I was in Walt Disney uh, studios, so my job was publicity director and I would get, photo shoots of all the top stars that were in the movies that we were distributing at the time. So like one, for example, Sandra Bullock. And we would have this incredible shot or shoot, photo shoot delivered to us for free. And, and as you know, a generic interview that she would do. And my job at that time was to be pitching to the glossy magazines. You know, do you want this? This has to go in the cover and then you've got the story. And so I kind of knew about working in that sense with magazines and, and media. Then when I moved here, the whole tables turned. First of all, I had no budget. I had no like A-lister photographer and I had to sell my work and get published published for free. And so that was, I feel like I've experienced all of the facets of working with media and storytelling. And I would just love to be able to share that in a, in a meaningful way with creatives. So that's why I'm looking forward to doing this course with Kim Klassen because that's what we're going to be doing. Yeah, just being, I, don't, I think there's there's so much to be said about transparency and empowering and not keeping this knowledge for ourselves because we feel threatened that by sharing it, we're diluting our potential to work. And I know that there is a lot of that, you know, and I do get it. I know that, that yes, by sharing your knowledge, you potentially risk having someone who's talented coming up and taking that job instead of your job. But I also feel that it's just in a spirit of generosity and, you know, and, and um, mentoring the next generation, um, specifically about photography. Um, more and more publications and blogs are asking, are not paying their photographers because the younger population are giving their work away for free. The younger generation are giving their work away because there is this gap in educating and saying, you know what, you're starting at, this is what you should be asking. But because so many other older, more professional photographers are not sharing that information, they're actually damaging themselves as well because these younger photographers are just, just giving it away. And um, I feel like that's a responsibility to educate and and say, okay, this is, this is what, and this is the contract that you should be sending them. And this is what, you know, just protecting the younger generation because in that way you're also protect, Nobody's ever going to replace a phenomenal photographer for 20 years with 20 years experience because you just can't replace that talent and that experience. But we have to make sure that the younger generation are not going to sabotage it for us as well. Um, yeah, so I think like, so that's education and transparency are, are really important to me and, and bringing more women to the table and bringing more seasoned layered voices to the table is really important. Mm. Yes. um that's, that's yeah it's it's essential 
yeah. it's essential like to make them well, just you know just only I can only speak about fair because it's only I can't speak about anyone else's magazine but if you want something to read you know in a wonderful way I you know we need we need people who've lived who've who've had challenges and who've overcome those challenges and who've grown and evolved and those are the stories because I what if if I can have even just one reader you know read one story and have a passage in that you know really affect them and say okay either they say I can go do this now or that's a great idea or that's so true if it resonates even in a small way with one person I think it's a phenomenal way to touch people around the world um that might sound very very hippy dippy or something but it really I feel like that all of the responses that I've been getting for fair and I don't really think I see that many people sharing Cabana which is a beautiful magazine which I subscribe to and I love but people are not making a human emotional connection to it in the sense of oh, wow this story has really affected me so I don't need to be selling 250,000 copies I'll be great though but I don't need to as long as I can have that intimate human connection with readers it's it's just such a it's such a reward because there's so much work behind a single magazine it's mm. crazy um my friend Annie, who just published issue two of her magazine, Gala magazine, which is an independent self-published magazine, which focuses only on creative stories in rural Australia. Um, and she has just had a runway, runaway success with her magazine, no advertising. Um, and she sold out her first issue entirely. She has no copies left, but um, she's going about it in just you know beautiful beautiful storytelling and respecting the reader and um and I, I people are really responding to it so that that's interesting just to go on to the practicalities of your of your magazine is that i remember saying to you oh there's no advertising and you said yes oh. i know that was <laughs> how, how is uh, there is advertising but but yeah, you're so right. Well, I mean, that's the other thing. So um, we have three advertising spots in FAIR, but I have, for issue two, turned down two advertisers because I, I feel like it, it's already quite an expensive magazine. It's a beautiful magazine. And I feel like ooh, there's such an assault to turn the page or for example, on the big glossies to turn 30 pages before you even get to a contents page. Mm. I, I think it's incredibly disrespectful. And, and it just, it brings, it's hard to know. Yeah, I just feel, I feel manipulated. And I think there's enough manipulation on Instagram and social media constantly sending us ads that again, this is just, I just want this to be, just to feel restful. And you know, that it's, it's a treat that, you know, you're not just being sold to constantly um of course now is this a sustainable business model is another question i don't know um because you know especially when you're starting out you can't really be picky but i would prefer not to have an ad and to actually reach out to a creative that i admire and say listen i'd like to offer you this ad space um but the but the ads in issue one were all 
wonderful creative companies, female-led businesses who supported me on Kickstarter. So they all bought their ad page on a magazine that had never been printed with no circulation figures. And so, yeah, this community of female creatives has been, really is the reason why FAIR is here today. Um, an international community, some of which I've never met in person before, but they just, they are there for me every time I, I, I do something. And I think, um, I think a lot of it is to do with trust and integrity and, you know, um, although the last few months I do feel like all I do is sell, sell, sell. Um, I was delighted when the Kickstarter was was achieved after four days because I thought, oh, my God, I, I don't think my nerves can handle 30 full days of like selling to every single person I've ever met, like from the ex-boyfriends to your primary school teacher and telling them about your Kickstarter campaign. So uh, yeah, I'd like to not do so much selling. You know, it's kind of a necessary evil, but um, I feel like I always want to give something extra and give more rather than just be selling all the time. But um, yeah, no, the the making of a magazine, that was it. So Annie from Gala magazine wrote, she said, um, it's interesting how the value of things can be skewered um, completely. For, so, so fair is 1650 and 1650, some people will spend that on a bottle of wine. Um, and some people will, will buy a really beautiful Japanese notebook for 20, 30 euros. I think it's all relevant. I think the, dif the difference between fair and for example, Grazia is, is that it's not throwaway. So you, it's not, you can't compare it uh, with other magazines it's something that you collect and you kind of read pick up and read again and again return to and it, yeah so it's that's what we're aiming for anyway it's like a, it's like a the amount of work that goes into it is it's it's basically create creating a mini book uh, every three months so um yeah that's what i just wanted to uh, pin you down if people want to buy this yes how how can they buy it there's four issues a year yes so we actually have an annual subscription package which is really good value right now and i may have to increase the prices on that because of covid related um shipping freight charges now which just it's uh it takes 50 days to send something to Australia now because every, all the regular post has to go by sea freight. There's no more planes anymore in the air. Oh, so, wow. um, but there is, an, there is a, a subscription deal right now, which is great value. Uh, you can buy the individual issue on our website as well. Um, we also have, we are stocked by the Librairie Fontaine in Apt. We are in saint Remy de provence in the Caravan de Creta, which is just reopened obviously after confinement. Um, I'm in WH Smith in Paris. I have a few outlets in Paris. Obviously, it's an English language magazine. So it's not, I did not go the route of newsstands in, in France because that's for anyone who doesn't know, which I imagine is quite a lot of people because I didn't know before I started making fair. The newsstand, the world of newsstands is pretty horrific um, from a business point of view, but also from an environmental point of view. It's pretty horrific. The the press, the newsstands around the world. So I am being sold into 30 countries around the world into newsstands, as well as um, Barnes and Noble, uh, Books A Million and Joann's in the US, which I'd never expected for issue one. The distributor wrote me about a week after we launched the Kickstarter and he wanted to distribute it, which was incredible. Now the terms for anyone thinking 
any crazy nutters out there thinking about making a magazine, the reason there are so few independent magazines um, on international newsstands is very simply because you do not have any guaranteed sales, no guarantee on your sales. You have to ship them. I, I've shipped 6,000 copies um, to newsstands. So there's no guarantee on those sales and you do not get paid for 300 days. 300 days. So I will see any sales that are not guaranteed on issue one next March in a year's time. So that's crippling for most. It's just too much of a financial risk for most independent magazines because uh, you it basically means you need to have enough cash flow for four issues before you get issue one back. But I figured like everything in life um, say yes and then figure it out later. <laughs> I felt, oh my God, this is such an incredible opportunity to get these stories so far, so wide. And I just need to make it work for four issues in between. So we are on startup mode, big time. I'm not able to pay myself at the minute. I'm just basically surviving on good vibes right now. <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll do the odd sale of my atelier just to kind of make sure I can pay the mortgage. But it's, it's something that I have, you have to see, you know, a long term, it's a long term goal. And come already, I mean, the response, all of our independent stockists have sold out and have reordered. So the stockists took a chance and they've all sold out, they've all gotten behind it. So you, you know, you do get a, a read that that the response is really great to it already. So fingers crossed for Barnes and Noble, because that would be incredible if we can get in. I mean, it, we are in there on the first issue and they're giving they're giving us a big promo as well in store. So for free, which is like, wow. So we'll we'll see. But um, as long as I have copies available, you can buy it directly on the on our website and it will be shipped from Germany. So it's relatively economical to ship it from Germany but of course if you want to just pick up an issue in apt or San Remy you don't have to pay any shipping fees that's for sure so I need to get the it's not currently in San Remy what day are we today and um, I need to they've just reopened so um, in another few days I will get the copies over there so if anyone knows the caravan de creators there's many of my friends have their work in there it's really beautiful pop-up store um with i think there's like 25 different creative makers from the area it's well worth uh, popping your head in there um if you're in sarami um but yeah so yeah so we're going to get um 40 we've 45 independent stockists which um again if anyone's interested in the business model how do we make money how do we keep going really it's our independent stockists because they buy outright. Um, this is the international press and newsstands. If they don't sell copies, the copies are destroyed at the end of the quarter. And I just am devastated by that, but this is the model. Uh, this is this is what they do. This is the amount of magazines that must be destroyed around the world is pretty hideous. Um, sorry, my husband is gesticulating to me. I've got a package arrive from... <laughs> from Apple, my, my charger for my, my MacBook. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so I, I rely on new, or sorry, independent stockists. And I feel it's really important to treat them really well because they are buying your magazine. They're taking a risk straight away, but they're also the same people who are getting behind your magazine and promoting it for you, as opposed to just putting on a newsstand 
shelf and wishing, you know, if somebody buys it, great, because you don't have to commit to that. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it doesn't sell, it gets pulped. Um, so my independent stockists are really very precious to me and they've all gotten a little bit of an extra goodie in their delivery. And I really need to nurture those stockists moving forward. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would love to be in newsstands across France, but it's it's just so it's it's really newsstands you can only really do it if you're a big big publisher mm-hmm. you know like a big glossy magazine and printing a hundred thousand two hundred thousand copies so um i wouldn't recommend it for an independent magazine but then that goes back to this idea of you know we're not trying to appeal to everybody we're trying to appeal to a very small niche audience of readers who really really enjoy reading this magazine and they get it and and they are your champions it's 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 this culture of community and fostering community and that community then champions you and you see it you see it on instagram and and when you are selling something or creating something that really connects with people i mean you're they're part of your marketing plan without you even intentionally for example with the issue one i did not write to any big influencers or anything like this or press and ask for them to to write about the magazine or publish i have had all of these readers and kickstarters uh pledgers and things like this who've all just got the magazine and taken the time to share what they love about it which it's i don't know that it's it's not really something you can strategize about or plan it's something you can dream of having um and I am so fortunate that I have these people all over the world who just have like five or 10 stories of them going through the magazine. I feel like everybody's seen the magazine at this point, but they really just love it or they'll highlight parts of it and they'll share it or they'll write why they love it so much. And I think it's an incredible, it's like a, it's like a movement. It's a community. It's based, it's community-based marketing. Isn't that what we call it? Um except that to call it marketing makes it kind of feel, I feel a bit dirty calling it that, but um, it's not, yeah, without without a strategy or an intention, I'm going to hit this person, I'm going to hit that person, I'm going to send them this, I'm going to send them a care pack. No, it's just been the community has gathered around this magazine and believes in it. And I see it with Gala magazine, I see it with this Irish publishing house, Blaster Books. People are just saying about time. This is so great. Change things up. Break the rules. We're, and so there's an excitement and, and rallying around what you're creating. And um, that's yeah, that's it's it's a relief on one side, because some at one point, just before I pressed the Kickstarter button the, to launch the campaign in January, um, I had been living with this inside my head and I talked to Annie, Annie and I, Annie of Gala magazine, Annabelle Hickson. And I had been kind of brainstorming and kind of egging each other on. And, you know, I would chicken out at one point and she'd say, no, go for it, go for it. And I mean, vice versa. And just before I picked, uh, pushed the button on the Kickstarter campaign, I had this horrible feeling, first of all, that I had imagined it, that I imagined that people would want to read this. And then I thought, oh, God, because I my goal was 15,000, which didn't even cover the cost, but it meant that I wouldn't. I wouldn't be bankrupting my family or anything, but um, it meant that I could make the magazine maybe like 3000 copies or something, keep it small, but I could do it. And uh, just before I press the button, 
I thought I, I felt that I was going to be sick. I thought, okay, maybe I should just ask for 5,000 or, 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 or I was like, oh, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then in four days, we had our goal and it went over our goal. And so there was this, yeah, the people, there's an, there's an appetite for slowing down for authentic stories, even though that word has been used and abused. Um, whenever you see hashtag authentic, it's usually the entire opposite of hashtag of authentic. But people can, I, people, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to curse on this, am I, Rebecca? Oh, why not? <laughs> people have a... B-U-L, I'm doing my mother thing, B-U-L-L-S-H-I-T radar. And they can they can tell when something's for real and when something's not. And they want to read real stories. There is an audience um, for, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see what else is kind of bubbling to the surface after this last year and to see what else is going to happen and, and voice, I mean, this thing is another when we go back to talking about why should we do that that's already been done or there's too many people doing that and you know you know breaking yourself down before you even try and do something you've been dreaming of doing a journalist uh, for the new york times wrote to me and said so why do you think there's space for fair when we have think magazines like kinfolk and kind of stopped me in my tracks but first of all i've never read kinfolk so i genuinely couldn't tell you if we're doing the same thing or not, which is a, probably a good thing. I I, I know what it is, but I've never read one of their magazines. But it, it's this, it is this kind of sense of there's not space for you. You know, it's not. Um, and also, you know, let's talk about scale. Kinfolk sells hundreds of thousands. They're a brand and they're very successful. There's still space for a niche magazine, a niche publication. There's so much space and um I mean, one thing I've discovered is this world of niche magazine shops around the world of these a lot. And they're so lovely and they write to me and they're so into it. And not all of them are into fair and they were very nice about it. They wrote to me, said, this is not going to work. And but it's a beautiful magazine, but it's not really our audience. But th these these are people who this is their thing. They love magazines. They get why it's worth printing magazines, even if it's 2000 copies or 4000 copies. It doesn't have to be a. Vogue or Marie Claire or uh, Cabana immediately they you know they it's there's all these little niches which are fascinating to me um and even the craft niche because essentially that is how fair is going to be sold uh it's not you know it's it's a craft my an elevated craft magazine and it's going to appeal to people who love handmade who are interested in knowing about different skills and different areas and different mediums and uh, creative stories so I think that's also in it with any business it's very important to be very honest with yourself and say okay who is my audience because if you are creating a magazine that's responding or that the craft world is responding to but you're feeling a bit snobby about that and you <laughs> I mean you have to get over yourself you have to say these are the people that are going to respond to these stories and not just respond to them but tell their friends about them and love them and reread them and yeah it's you can't I don't really or and I never assumed that fair was going to be competing with cabana or world of interiors there are plenty of aspirational magazines out there that just sweep you away and transport you to a whole other world a world that you could probably never uh ever live in or you know it's not your world whereas fair is actually about inspirational stories that we can relate to that, you know, we know these people, these people are our friends and, you know, so 
Yeah, I, I don't know that I could handle an aspirational magazine. So I'm very happy to be an inspirational magazine. And you know what? You certainly are inspirational. <laughs> and um, I'm really grateful for you, your spirit, which keeps on daring and being <laughs> curious because uh, that sharing with all of us is is um yeah it's something that i think people need and i'm sure if everyone listens to what you say you know they they find a lot of inspiration to obviously listen to your um story and read your story but also the inspiration to get out there and do what they've dreamed about as well or dare to dream I think there's this there's this awful, awful way of thinking that says you're too old to do that. You're too old to change career. You're too <laughs> old. I mean, I just I just need that. <laughs> I know, Rebecca. It's like what? Who says this? You know that? You, who says you have to choose a subject that you study at? You know, let's say in in UK a levels or you know you know from the age of 16 you you need to know what you're going to do for the rest of your life and that is what that's you're not allowed to deviate from that you're not allowed to dare to be passionate about anything else and give anything else i just think that's rubbish i i really think um i think the future is this layered approach that we can be free and of course you know people have mortgages to pay and and you know we get health benefits and we get all these sorts of benefits when you were employed by somebody and it's very it is scary to leave that behind um, and I see lots of women doing it once the children have grown up and flown the nest um, and I find those stories absolutely magical and especially because they coincide a lot of the time with women starting to feel that they're to the rest of the population, you know, that they're no longer 20 years old and, and you know, our, let's face it, our boobs are not 20 year old boobs anymore and we're invisible to everybody else. And so that means that we don't count, that our say, we don't have a say and what's the point. And also, you know, you have all these, this technology like Instagram and things that can be a little bit intimidating. And then there's new apps every bloody minute. But um, I love, those are the stories that fascinate me of women, that dare to go for it and and I and I just love turning my lens on them and you know bringing their story to the world and two I don't know if you know Odile I always she's one of my favorite people Odile Buscarat who has an antique store in Ile sur le Sword called La Petite Curieuse she's in her 70s and she's the most incredibly beautiful woman, woman I've probably I, that I know really uh, like she has got this incredibly chic uh, gray chignon and she's just she's a beautiful person and I shot I shot her story and I remember when I was taking her portrait her face became very sad immediately it was like there's like a veil just kind of shifted over her her face and I know what she was in her, she was like well what's the point I'm old I'm I'm not attractive anymore and and I had to bring her out of her head to get that portrait done and her story made front cover and I, I actually genuinely it's never really it's never I don't know how to explain it it's I don't aim to get it's not a competition to get covers for me it is just the most incredibly exhilarating thing when somebody you love and adore and uh, appreciate has her story especially when she's 
50 plus on the cover of a magazine there that is that's what makes it all worth it and it's like you count your story counts and just keep doing what you're doing and yeah i i really i know you feel strongly about this as well there is no there's no it's never too late to pick up a camera there's nothing stopping you from picking up a camera and going out and shooting photography about things that you love there's no it's never too late to start writing it's never too late to just discover a, a passion and and go for it and if anyone is in the network provence um réseau wants to talk to me about any of this and needs to be to needs to be talked into doing anything i i am a major enabler of craziness <laughs> i just think as long as you are not putting yourself or your health at risk you know, you just go for it. I, you, you, it's worse to live with the regret, I think, of, Absolutely. oh, I really, you know, it's worse to live with that regret than to do something. And what's the worst that can happen? You know, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't work, it's, it's no big deal, you know, and at least you've done it. And you, and you, in, in any case, you'll have learned something. You'll have grown, you'll have new skills, you'll have a new perspective. You'll hopefully have met some incredible people along the way. I do think that's also something to, there's something to be said about surrounding yourself with people who encourage you um, and who are honest with you and only have your best interests at heart. You know, the kind of people that if you're in a room and someone says, as I said earlier, someone says, oh, can you can you think of anyone who'd be good at that job? And instead of thinking of themselves, they think of you. That's the, those are the people that you need in your life especially if you want to take a risk. You need people who will be honest with you, but respectful, that, that really don't want you messing anything up, but that want to encourage you. It's, it's, a, it's, a, I don't, it's a hard mix, but I've been very fortunate since moving to France to have some incredible women around me. I'm very, very lucky. And it goes back to this, you know, trusting and, and you know, sometimes friendships don't work out, but that doesn't mean they're doomed you know that person has been a part of your life and for a reason and then it usually opens you up to meeting someone incredible who's going to be part of you know this word your your tribe but i really think it is it's we don't necessarily have those people early on in our lives and so sometimes we're lucky that we do but being open to meet these people i mean i've met some incredible people through network provence i'm going to give a shout like there's um there's janine there's thea do you know that Thea, when I was doing the Australian auction, I'm giving a, a shout out to Thea here. When I was doing the Australian auction, I didn't sleep for three days solid. I lit, I don't even know how I managed to get through that. Thea arrived up with a big plate of chicken, garlic chicken for my family. And I just thought like, that is a, such a, like just love, pure love. And I met Thea thanks to Network Provence. And yeah, I, I think what you're doing is it, because it's, connecting with other women and having creating allies and just people who will have your back and support you is so essential for our mental health and our well-being and our success for our businesses as well I mean there's been so many collaborations that that you've been at the heart of Rebecca so thank you thank well, you thank so much. you it's let me turn to me <laughs> yes I'm and over to you Rebecca <laughs> Uh, well, this has been great, Ruth. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah. I know, uh, you know, I could talk for another 200 hours. Uh, well, I'd I love to listen to you for another 200 hours, but um, well, no, maybe with the next chapter. 
I'm yeah, already, my head is already starting to. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I do, I genuinely feel very strongly about um, really helping women. It's something I've, I'm, it's just something in me that I, I need to do and I want to do. So if I can uh, be of any help to anyone looking to go launch themselves or try anything, um, as, as things as things calm down with fair and structures kind of get into place and you know there's more more time to breathe um yeah maybe maybe we can we can do something together further down the line i'd love that yeah just to i think we all have so much to give and knowledge is power but knowledge is just wonderful when you share it with people you know it's 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 really lonely to keep it all for ourselves and really life can be so much richer when we when we open ourselves up and share it with other people so mm. that is my ted talk for today <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic thank you anyway, so much Ruth. thank you rebecca and talk to you very soon okay that's cool thank you bye, bye. thanks for listening to me rebecca renane creative network provence I'd love you to leave a fabulous review and remember to subscribe to the show. Why not come and join Network Provence and make creative connections? The links are in the show notes. Stay tuned for upcoming, mostly two-weekly episodes. See you soon.